Hi, everyone. This is Scott from Prepare to Answer. I want to share some news with you about an exciting new resource that we've created called So Much More Than Sex. It's no secret that the subject of sex is one of the biggest concerns for young Christians today. That's why we've created So Much More Than Sex for senior teens and young adults. It's a four-part video series, complete with notes and discussion questions, that you can do with your young adults class, small group, or even on your own. The point of the series is to help you shift the narrative about sex away from seeing biblical teaching as little more than an outdated list of do's and don'ts, and replacing it with the overwhelmingly positive, life-giving, and eternally significant vision that the Bible gives for your sexually ordered body. If you want to get in on the So Much More Than Sex series, just follow the link in the episode description. And now we turn to today's episode. Welcome to the Prepared to Answer podcast. My name is Sean Walker, and I want to welcome you and Scott Steen. How are you, Scott? Good, Sean. Nice to see you again. Yeah, this is our second episode of the Cancer Culture series, and also our second episode by video. We are now out of our blanket fort, which we are happy about. <laughs> and for those that might not know, uh, Scott and I actually live on the same street. And yeah. so we are in a small uh, rural town in southwestern Ontario. And and Scott, I would say probably our street is pretty quiet, pretty idyllic. Generally, Generally speaking, town. yes. Yes. There are <laughs> yes, exceptions, though. <laughs> <laughs> Until we decided to do some podcasting from our house, <laughs> yeah, and then, yeah. And then the town decided to tear up our to road, tear up the road, and, and replace so. the sewers, and <laughs> dig up our yards, and there's lots going on out there today. Yeah, so if you might hear some beeping in the background, or if you see maybe the camera shake a little because of some right. type of work that they're doing, that uh, would be it. Yeah. But uh, we have full we have full faith in our uh, media specialist Becca uh, that she'll be able to uh, get rid of most of that stuff. So, like I had said from the top, uh, we're back into our cancel culture series, into our second episode, and we really started our first episode, Scott, with a real introduction to cancel culture. And I was hoping maybe you just kind of give us a thirty thousand foot uh, view of of what that episode was about. Sure, Sean. Yeah, yeah we, we talked about our last episode was kind of our kickoff to what we're calling our cancel culture series. Uh, understanding that we're using cancel culture as a very kind of a broad umbrella to cover a number of subjects related to really the, the, the dramatic changes we're seeing in our culture. Uh, kind of the movement of progressive ideology. Sometimes it's thrown out there talking about woke ideology that's moving through our, our culture. But we're using cancel culture as a as a descriptor to kind of talk about those themes in general. But our last episode was our first one to kick off where we actually wanted to talk about cancel culture as we understand it and experience it in our contemporary culture, really around the, you know, the, mm -hmm. the events or the experiences of people being canceled or canceling other people. So the last episode we took a, just some time to to really start to dissect and and analyze what exactly cancel culture is. What are we talking about? And and how are we seeing it expressed in our contemporary culture right now? And then trying to just look at some of the characteristics, realizing that the idea of canceling, generally speaking, in terms of withdrawing support against a person or a company or whatever, 
because they say or do something that we find offensive, uh, that's not anything really new. That that kind of thing has gone on for no. for forever. But there are there are some new things taking place in our culture, particularly around the the advent of social media, which adds to the speed and and I guess um, scope with which a person or a company or a group can be canceled. And also we looked at some of the, just some of the characteristics of these canceling kinds of movements that, well, we looked at the characteristics of them and, and just to recognize that what really is going on in, in the culture in, in so many ways is contrary to or opposed to the gospel. And so we wanted to, to do that from a Christian worldview, looking at the, the phenomenon of cancel culture mm-hmm. and, and really trying to look at it critically and through a biblical worldview lens. Yeah. So that's what we did in our last episode. So, Scott, that's an interesting point that it appears that the gospel is contrary to what we're seeing in this cancel culture. Then it begs the question, and really that's kind of where we ended our last episode on, was how do Christians respond to this then? So I think in answering that question, Sean, uh, we need to start with the question. It, it really depends on who we're talking about. Um, right. And I, I was reading an article, and I've forgotten the author's name, uh, but I'll credit them anyway, because um, I think I think generally they're right. Uh, th- that thinking about you know instances of cancellation, they kind of fall into three general categories, and mm-hmm. we could probably break them down this way. Those who do wrong, those who did wrong, and those who believe wrong. And when I'm talking about those who do wrong, thinking about people who, you know, their their behavior Mm -hmm. includes acts that are wrong, or at the very least perceived to be wrong by the culture. Um, right. And then they get found out the things that they're doing, right. but they're they're doing them, mm-hmm. you know, subversively in private. But then they get outed, and a you know you know right. a contemporary, a very recent contemporary, clear example of that would be someone like Harvey Weinstein. Um, right. That you know here here was a man in a in a position of power in the entertainment industry uh, who had had a track a track record decades long you know, of sexual abuse uh, against women. And that whole thing came out. That was kind of the genesis of the of the Me Too movement, or at least the impetus for it. Um, so, so behavior that's kind of in the background or in many ways, you know, goes unnoticed or unchecked. And then it's right. surfaced. Then it comes out. Right. That's right. That's one example. And maybe we'll look at Weinstein actually as a test case for for responding to that. Then there are those who did wrong, and and this would be someone like, and I'll go back to our last episode where I brought up the issue of Aiden uh, Kaloinen, who was the 18-year-old liberal would-be candidate for the Sault Ste. Marie riding. He was found out that he said something online when he was 13 years old in a Minecraft game chat. That's not something that's an ongoing behavior. He, you know, no one said all that. He does that all the time. It happened once, Right. Right. But, but right. it was surfaced. Yeah. He did it. He apologized for it. He he actually said, you know, that really, that wasn't even me. I don't think that way. Mm-hmm. But he did something wrong. Um, and and what he did in the present is no longer acceptable. And it, who knows? It might Maybe it was more so acceptable back when, you know, it happened. Um, but, this, but the sensibilities of the culture today now frown upon that. 
Uh, and right. so, they're so, so to go back to our example that we were talking about off the top of our last episode in the renaming of the university in, uh, in Toronto from Ryerson to, to Metropolitan. So that would be another example. Sure, sure. Of, of yeah. going back, looking now, looking backwards. Um, yeah. So that's kind of another example. And then though, there are those who believe wrong, right? Those who hold you know, beliefs or opinions that have become, mm-hmm. have now become unacceptable in the the broader, I guess, value or moral framework of the culture, and right. and again, um, uh, we mentioned last time a clear example of that is happening in academia, where where uh, academics who are of a more conservative persuasion, ideologically, are being canceled, are being censured, and many for fear are no longer voicing their their perspectives in academia they're no longer exercising academic freedom so so sure. so those are three general categories Sean and I think that they're worth unpacking individually as we talk about well then how should Christians respond well, you know we can't just give well here's one general response I mean we could say you know well let's just follow the golden rule I think that's just a bit simplistic right. we want to do a little more than that sure. uh, to look at yeah at that yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's dig into that. So let's go back to the first example. So how would we respond to those that are doing wrong? Yeah. Right. Obviously, as Christians, we want to stop people yeah. from doing wrong. Yeah. Right. For sure. And 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 I, I, we certainly don't want to argue with that. Um, and recognize that yeah, there is a place for calling people or holding people to account, uh, or if evil is being done identifying it, right, calling it out and saying, no, no more, for sure. Um, but but so let's just turn to, to Harvey Weinstein for a second, because he's kind of a good, sure. uh, he's a good example yeah. of something that's happened in, you know, in, at least in popular culture um, that everybody is fairly familiar with. What's interesting is that when things like this happen, and this is the case with Harvey Weinstein, the, the mass reaction uh, is, is moral outrage. That's the typical right. immediate response. You know, something happens and there's just yes. moral outrage. Yeah. There's there's just righteous indignation, which of course was part of the that was part of the controversy around Harvey Weinstein, was the realization that so many in the entertainment industry knew these things were going on, right? Kind of hush hushed it, right? But then when yeah. it became public and everyone else was against it. Everybody became very, you know, vocal about all oh, the horrible and all the rest. Yeah. So moral outrage, yeah. which, which to be honest, we have to recognize something that moral out, given this, given the sinfulness of humanity, right? And, and we're talking about ourselves as well. More often than not, moral outrage is rooted in a really a self righteous anger uh, instead of tr- instead of truth. That, that's that's generally true. And as Christians, I think we need to yeah. be aware of that. And I think we need to heed the warning of Scripture. Uh, and this goes back to what we talked about in our last episode about the rashness. Listen to what James says in right. James chapter 1, Sean. Uh, James 1, yes. 19 to 20, James says, But everyone, he's speaking to the church now, everyone must be quick to listen and slow to speak. And, and this is the key here, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. And, yeah. and I think in that, there is some, some warning for us as Christians. 
a, a, a warning about getting on the, you know, the, the bandwagon, so to speak, of the moral outrage over, over whatever it happens to be. And I and Scott, I would almost say that that verse would be the complete opposite of what we're talking about. And, and at least when it comes to social media, you know, quick to listen, you know, slow to speak. It almost seems like that's the opposite. Mm-hmm. We're quick to react. We're quick to speak. And in fact, I don't know if people are listening yeah. on social media sometimes. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And and I mean, uh, I'm not I'm not uh, saying any of this to in any way exonerate Harvey Weinstein. I I, no. I reserve really casting judgment. I, I will take the facts as they've been presented at face value. But I'll also recognize that I don't know all the facts. Um. And and did he deserve to be outed and to be prosecuted and all the rest? I would argue, yes, the, he clearly committed some crimes. He, he clearly committed some moral evils against his victims, for sure. What I think yeah. is what I think is instructive, though, is so in, in the broader culture, the, the the backlash was moral outrage. Right. Right. And. and Outrage about something evil. There's, I think that's appropriate, right? There's, a, there's such a thing as righteous anger, but, but I don't think, by and large, the anger that our culture or society or even I, I even point fingers at myself, Sean, ninety nine percent of the time, the anger that I experience does not come from righteousness. It comes from somewhere yeah. else, <laughs> and and human anger, James is saying, does not produce the righteousness of God, and that's what I'm saying. That's all I'm saying in terms of you know. There was moral outrage. It produced some good in that there was wickedness that was that was uh, identified and put to a, a stop to and, uh, and ostensibly a, a, an example made of someone abusing power and hopefully serving as an example for others in the future not to try and do so again. But in the end, it wasn't but in the end, it wasn't the righteousness of God that was was the ultimate product of that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's yeah. just something we need to be aware of. Yeah. And as you're talking, Scott, I'm thinking there's a lot of judgment going on here. Uh, and I think Christ had a few things to say about that, about being judgmental. Oh, for sure. Uh, for sure. And and maybe maybe something we should, well, we should be reminded of Um Christ warned us against being judgmental, not because we aren't to identify sin or evil and call it as such, but because right. our tendency is to to cast judgment against people as though somehow we're exempt. And and it's 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 a hypocritical judgmentalism, right? Right. And I think that's part of the we have to be careful, part of the lure. I think the I think if we're being honest, part of the lure of getting caught up in cancel culture is that the moral yeah. framework in our culture is that if I can point out the evil of someone else, that puts me <laughs> in a position of moral authority and I would Indeed. argue moral superiority. And and, right. and I don't think we yeah. can deny that. And you're right, yeah. Sean. Jesus spoke directly against that. In fact, the most the most famous instance is is was in John chapter eight, right when the when the religious leaders of the day brought this woman, who they'd caught in the act of adultery, and and put her in the center of the square, and they all these religious self righteous men stood around her, 
and said to Jesus, the law says this woman needs to be stoned to death for adultery. Ironically, yes. ironically, they did not bring the man forward. Who Obviously, she yes. was caught in adultery. There That's was a guy true. in the room at the same time. And the law, exactly. the, the letter of the law of the Old Testament was clear. They were both to be stoned to death. Mm -hmm. But anyway, somehow he didn't get brought forward. But, but you know, you know the outcome of that account, that Jesus, Jesus was pressed on the issue and his response to them was, let whoever is without sin cast the first stone. Right. And, and of course, everyone left. No one threw a stone. Right. And one, one wonders, Scott. So uh, we bring Harvey Weinstein to Christ in the market square. And, and, and what's his response? Yeah. And, you know, again, it's not it, to me, it's not so much um, us adjudicating on, uh, you know, he went to court, he was convicted, he's now in, in prison, right. as far as I understand. Should we have, should we not support that kind of thing? I think so. I think there's a criminal justice system for a reason. I think it serves all kinds of good purposes. Uh, to me, it's more a matter of where, where our hearts are. And, you know, and so, so this is me evaluating my own heart, Sean, when I'm, when I am looking at these kinds of things on social media, and this is what I want to encourage our listeners to, you know, those who are Christians, to evaluate what's going on in your own heart when this righteous indignation bubbles up and, you know, it make, it causes you and it makes yeah. you want to get on and, and, and trumpet your own opinion on social media and say your piece realizing that that rooted in there there's a there's a a weed bed of self of self-righteousness and judgmentalism that's wrapped up in there right and so it's more of i right. want to guard my heart against being pulled into that that i would imbibe a spirit of you know self-righteous judgmentalism um that ought not be and because because not only is it judgmental, it's also devoid of mercy, right? What if? Well, yeah. What, what if? What if? Yep. What if Harvey Weinstein serves his sentence and gets out of prison, and walks into a believing church one day and surrenders his life to Jesus? Right? Would we not? Would we not want? Would we not want to see that happen? And would we not mm -hmm. want to then embrace him as right. a repentant sinner? <laughs> Right, D needing the grace and mercy of Christ just as we do. So, so, t so it's not necessarily a here's what you ought to do necessarily, but it's just a, a how do we respond in our hearts when these things take place? Let's make sure we guard ourselves against some of the pitfalls there. And, and I would almost argue, Scott. I don't know if you'd agree with me or not, but in Christ's response to those religious leaders in this girl. There was a threat of mercy in that response as well, right? That it wasn't focused on her, but also to others, mm -hmm. right? That we are all sinners. Yeah. And and there is a threat of mercy when you're standing in, in judgment from people to be reminded that we're all sinners. Right, right. And that, and clearly the religious leaders of the, of the day in Israel had lost sight of that. Right. For them, the law had become a means to righteousness, a means to gaining God's favor, something they could earn themselves. And they believed in their position of religious re religiosity. They believed they'd earned it. So so they could stand in judgment. And Jesus wanted to make it abundantly clear. You're in no position to do that. No one is. 
Yeah. No one can judge but right. God alone, because no one is right. No one's righteous but God alone, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So, so if we turn to then those that are doing wrong, uh, and we use the Harvey Weinstein example, but but you mentioned about those that have done wrong in the past, and and you again mentioned uh, the the fellow that was looking to join the Liberal Party uh, and had said something when he was younger and and was essentially canceled. How do we respond to that? So looking at Harvey Weinstein as someone who did wrong or who 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 does wrong, um, now looking at yeah. an instance of someone who did wrong, and I think the key is to look at how our culture responds first. And in the case of someone like you know this that young that young man from Sault Ste. Marie, um, the, what the culture immediately does in cases like that is to is to label, right? They they see oh he did this or he said this. And so they then applied a label to him. And I, in, in, the, in this case, I think the label was racist because I think he, oh, okay. I think it was, yeah. it was either racist or, or homophobic because either he made a, a, a racist comment or something derogatory towards uh, LGBTQ people. Um, either way, the response was to label him, right? He said that, therefore, this is the kind of person he is, which, which essentially dehumanizes a person. Right. It, it, they be, suddenly in their minds, once we label someone that allows us in our minds to turn them into one dimensional beings. So, so mm-hmm. they are a whatever, fill in the blank. They're a racist or they're a whatever, a phobe or, or they're a sexist. Right. So it allows us to dehumanize people, um, which we, which we cannot do. As Christians, we can never stop viewing someone, no matter who they are, as yes. an image bearer of, of God. They're made in his image, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. so labeling people dehumanizes them. Secondly, it makes them... And, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, and Scott, I would even argue that as Christians, we're guilty of that sometimes, right? Even within Christian circles, uh, we'll talk about those that maybe don't agree with our uh, worldview, and we label yeah. people as well. Sure we do. Yeah. Sure we do. Yeah. We even do it within yeah. the church. <laughs> For a long time. <laughs> oh, you're one of those Christians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. yeah. Um, so it dehumanizes yeah. them. Uh, it it also it also tends to then make people unredeemable. You are that kind of person. Therefore, that's what you are. I you know uh, with the implication that that's all you'll ever be. Um, and and you know I think of I think of Christ's words in Matthew chapter six. Um, and this, and this really speaks to the, the unforgiving characteristic of cancel culture that we brought up last time. And here's where Jesus mm-hmm. speaks. Jesus speaks directly into this. Listen to Jesus in Matthew 6, verse 14 to 15, Sean. Jesus says, yep. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, that's their sins, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive you. That's one of the most sobering statements that Jesus ever makes. But I think what it does yep. is, is it necessarily punctuates the seriousness, right, of, of unforgiveness and what that, what that actually means, what it's actually saying about our attitude, our posture towards sin. For, for me, as someone who has, who has claimed God's forgiveness for no other reason than that Jesus died in my place, 
right? That's my own. God has forgiven me for all of the all of the wickedness that I've either done or thought. And I've thought a mm-hmm. whole lot more wicked things than I've ever done. I'll admit that. But Jesus says, yeah. says also in Matthew chapter 5, there, there really isn't a whole lot of difference, <laughs> right? Um, because out of the outflow of the heart comes wickedness. So I, I tell you, there's a whole lot of wickedness in my heart. So I've got no stand before God to, to, to point at someone and say, well, that can't be forgiven, right? There's just no way. Um, so, so I think it's really, that's a really sobering reminder from Jesus that this, this the kind of this, this vein towards labeling people and, and then therefore viewing them as, well, they're a lost cause, unredeemable, mm-hmm. right? That's just, right. That just should not right. be in the Christian worldview. No. Have we ever seen examples of people being canceled and then the culture forgiving them? I, I'm just trying to rack my brain here, thinking of those that I know that have been canceled. But I is there even a way for cancel culture to forgive? Like, not, I, I don't think there is. Not not very well. Here here's a here's a really recent example I read about not that long ago, um, and it and it and it pertains to Lewis Hamilton who is the, the driver for the Formula One driver for, for Team Mercedes, uh, right? Probably arguably the best Formula One driver in the world right now. Um, yes. In yeah. terms of wins anyway. So this happened not that long ago where he was, uh, he posted something on uh, a picture or something on uh, social media. He was, with a fa- he, was with a, he was with a family member. He was at a family event or whatever. And he had, a, I think, a nephew who, who had gone and, you know, put on some, I think put on a girl's costume, like a fairy costume or something like that, or a dress and was, you know, and was playing, you know, it was harmless, innocent. And, and Lewis took kind of a snapshot of the scene. And he just said, he said something like, Oh, I'm so embarrassed. Right. Just at the whole, the whole scene of this, this, uh, this kid acting this way. And it was kind of, well, well, he was castigated by the transgender community. That, yeah. that he yeah. would see that as somehow an embarrassing... Anyway, uh, so, he, mm-hmm. so he received the, the full force of cancellation, right, upon him. Yes. Now, he's, yes. he's a famous person, so he has a whole, a whole media industry at his disposal. Um, so interestingly, in the, next episode, or in, the, in the next edition of GQ magazine, they did an entire spread in which Lewis Hamilton essentially did penance for his transgression. Oh, interesting. And he was, interesting. he, he stayed, he was staged dressed up as in drag and, um, mm-hmm. kind of affirming, you know, how wonderful, uh, you know, that kind of, uh, activity would be. So it was a form mm-hmm. of penance. And for the most part, I think it worked, but, but that's a very rare instance because very few people, have that that kind of mass media mechanism by which they can do penance for their transgression, right. whatever it happens to be. So, right. But when we go back and, and talk about forgiveness as something that flows out of the gospel, penance isn't part of that. No, that narrative. No, no. Rep- that's that's rep- not repentance. Right. Repentance is yes, but penance penance is not. penance is not penance is payment. Right. right. Is it enough right. penance? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Were there enough pictures? Right. 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 Exactly. No, you're you're absolutely right. So that's that's so so to to your question, have we seen examples? 
I can't think of any except for there's one recent one, but it's unique and I would say rare um, and and for the few. Right. And it wouldn't model Christian forgiveness. Not at all. In terms of no. where to forgive, whether there's penance or not. So, yeah, that's interesting. So, Scott, we've talked about those that are doing wrong. We've talked about those that have did wrong. The last one that you wanted to unpack were those that believe wrong. And and honestly, Scott, I'm, I'm interested in, in this one. So why don't you uh, dive into that? Well, so in, in terms of looking at those who believe wrong, in, in generally speaking, these are people who have beliefs or views that are no longer seen as, you know, palatable in the broader culture. Um, let, let's face it, as Christians, that's us, right? Um, it, it used to be that Christianity was kind of the the predominant worldview in our culture. A shift began mm-hmm. to occur, you know, through the 60s and 70s. I remember growing up, you know, in the 80s and 90s where uh, Christianity was, it, it certainly wasn't the predominant view anymore, but it was still tolerated. It was basically seen as kind of a you know, you were old fashioned and kind of odd for holding the beliefs that you hold. And so, you know, at that time, you know, defending our faith very much looked like trying to simply give, you know, a a reason or an explanation for why I hold my beliefs. Today, today in our council culture, we're, we're very much viewed as not just, you know, odd, but, but dangerous, that our views are seen as, as, you know, uh, we're, we're seen, we're viewed with hostility. So this is relevant for us to think about how we respond um, to a world that doesn't just think we're odd anymore. They think they think our beliefs need to be done away with, or or um, right. that our beliefs are somehow dangerous beliefs. Um, what I've noticed in the, if I could generalize the Christian response, at least at least certainly in evangelical Christian circles where where I live. In talking to a lot of people, it seems to me like the primary concern is surrounding responding to the the evaporation or the threat against our civil rights, um, mm. particularly around okay. freedom of speech. That okay. how do we respond when the world tries to silence us for believing the way we mm-hmm. believe? T- to me right now, it, it feels like the real fight that Christians feel like they need to, to, to make is at the level of civil liberties. And, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that there isn't a discussion to be had there and that in a, in a free society, there isn't a place for us to make the case that, you know, all people are entitled to the same freedoms. But I think that there's something I just want to point out in regard to that, because what we're talking about is how do we as Christians respond you know, in terms of our witness, in terms of our, our heart attitude, in terms of, of living out the life of Jesus in this world. This is maybe, maybe this is good food for another podcast. Podcast, But, yeah. but I'll just like to point yeah, out, we hold freedom of speech in our culture. Like we see that as, you know, that's to, to use, um, to use the, the kind of terminology of our American neighbors. It's an inalienable right right? The freedom of speech and freedom of expression. It's codified in our own charter of rights and freedoms here in Canada as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I won't deny freedom of speech can be an instrumental good. It can bring about great good for a society yeah. to, to uphold freedom of speech and freedom of expression. But I think it's worth pointing out that 
it can be an instrumental good, but that mm -hmm. that doesn't make it. It doesn't mean it is a, a universal moral good. Um, right. Right. In fact, the Bible consistently exhorts <laughs> us: if anything, with regard to our speech, the predominant message of the Bible is to hold our tongues. Yes. Right? Yes. Which is just interesting. I just yes. think it's worth pointing out. And and I don't want any of our listeners yeah. to walk away saying, oh, the prepared to answer guys are against free speech. No, that's not what I'm saying. That's a whole no. big debate. I'd, no. I'd like to have a longer discussion around that. Um, but that's not yeah. what I'm, I'm thinking. May, I'm, yeah, I'm thinking maybe another podcast that we could uh, we could really dive sure, into that. Sure, stuff, I think we will. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. So that's not my point. My point, though, is that, again, as a Christian, I want to live out uh, the, a life that's the most consistent, biblically consistent as I can. And when I look at things like speech and how I ought to view um, my speech and, and the way that I should, or the, or the, I guess the assumptions I should have about my rights to speech, when I look at the scriptures, it's always warning us to guard our speech. Let me just, let me just give you a little bit of a, uh, let me get give you a bit of a, a bird's eye or just an overview of some of the more, some of the more jump out texts, Sean, here's Proverbs 10 yeah. verse 19. So here's Paul, yeah. here's uh, Solomon speaking wisdom into Israel and to God's people. He says, yeah. when there are many words, wrongdoing is unavoidable, but the wise hold their tongues, <laughs> right? Listen to Pro that is a that is a great one that we should put on the top of our computers and our social media. Yeah, yeah. Listen to Proverbs 21, 23. <laughs> Those who guard their mouths and their tongues keep themselves from calamity. Okay. Here's James 1.26. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a, a rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Yeah. Later in James, he says yeah. in James 3, the tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Oh, that's pretty strong. How unpopular the Bible is. <laughs> it says such unpopular things. Here's Paul in Colossians 3. Yes. Here's Paul in Colossians 3, 8, speaking to God's people. Yeah. God, he's speaking to God's people. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. I think slander is one we ought to take seriously. Slander is to say yeah. something about someone, right? Or to cast them in a certain light, mm -hmm. in a negative light. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and I think mm -hmm. we need to be careful. Um, mm -hmm. So, again, I'm not saying, therefore, Christians shouldn't be in favor of free speech. That's not it at all. What the, the question we're responding to, again, is how, do, as Christians, do we respond? I, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to lay out here a template of to do a to do list, Sean. What I'm what I'm trying to help our our listeners and our viewers to recognize is that what we need in in being people who respond well in a cancel culture is we need to take seriously our our need to go back to scripture and to consult yeah. scripture regularly on how we are to conduct ourselves in the world. Right. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, and, and just a couple points, Scott, uh, before we move on. So one, you know, it, it always amazes me how Scripture talks to contemporary issues. This this is not a book that was written, you know, thousands of years ago that has nothing to do with what's going on today. It is very 
relevant to what is going on today. So it just, it amazes me when we dive into scripture, how it talks to cancel culture. Yeah. Uh, and that's amazing. And and even the last uh, quote from Paul to the Colossians, and he's talking about those things that we are supposed to be ridding ourselves of. It's actually pretty similar to that list that we talked about in our last episode of what we're finding cancel culture to be. You know, when, when you talk about the rage that we're finding in cancel culture. And here's Paul saying... We need to rid ourselves of it. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it, how relevant? It, 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 yeah, I mean, script, of course, Scripture's relevant to every day because it's God speaking to us, right? Um, yeah. And and I think the other thing, I think something to keep in mind as well is that so much, I think, uh, that surrounds or, or permeates our cancel culture um, is fear. It, it it really right. is built around fear and anxiety, our our desire mm-hmm. to control, and something yep. that should continually. And I want you know I I fall into this myself, and when I talk to many times I talk to Christians and there's there is fear, um, and I think as Christians, we need to always remember that our our mindset our perspective always needs to be informed. And I'm going, to, I'm going to throw out a biblical or a, a theological term here. It's useful, and then I'll and then I'll clarify it. We always need to have an eschatological perspective on everything. Whoa! Yeah, right. <laughs> Can okay. we back that one up? <laughs> back that one up. <laughs> Eschatology is just a fancy theological word that refers to end times, the study of end things. So okay. eschatological simply means that we need to be people who continually see the world through the lens of the end, right? Right. We know yep. what the end looks like. We know the trajectory and the terminus point for history. Jesus says in Matthew five eleven, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, yeah. because great is your reward in heaven. I think as Christians, not that not that I want to go looking for this or 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 anything like that, but I think as the world continues to see our beliefs and our value set and our you know our our lifestyle with contempt and call it out as 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 calling it evil, those who would call good evil and evil good, um, right. I don't think I don't think our angst needs to be around. Well, we need to find some way to get the culture to see us in a positive light again. Right. I don't think that's going to happen. Right. Um, no. I, I think I think that being on the outside or the wrong side of history, <laughs> from a cultural standpoint, I think that's where we live. Yes. Well, and Christ has made that clear just in that that verse that you just read. Yeah. That we're too expected, in fact. Yes, right? yes. Yeah. But but he ends yeah. by saying, "Rejoice." Well, how can you rejoice when you are like the right. you're seen as like the you know, the the dangerous people or the or the or the unwanted in society? How do you rejoice over that? You rejoice because great is your reward in heaven, because we view the world through an entirely different lens, the lens of God's unfolding salvation, redemptive salvation plan. And right. and people around us, the ones who persecute us or say all kinds of false things against us, they do so 
because like us, before Christ opened mm-hmm. our eyes, their hearts and their minds are darkened. They, they don't have understanding in this world because they can't see the light of the truth of the, of the glory of God found in Christ. Um, and, so, and so we should have compassion. Our, our response shouldn't be defensiveness. We rejoice when they insult us. <laughs> and, then, and, then in, and then in responding in such a counterintuitive way, right? Getting on the defensive, standing on our soapbox and proclaiming our rights and all the rest that, that you yeah. would expect. Those are, those are the weapons of the world. We respond with grace right. and humility and kindness and love. Uh, that, that is what will demonstrate and, and reveal the fact that, as Jesus says, so that they'll see our good deeds and know that our Father is in heaven. Sorry, that wasn't Jesus. I think that mm-hmm. was Peter. Um, but same idea. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Scott, thanks. I think that's a great place to end this episode on cancel culture. And I'd encourage our listeners to join us for our next one. Until then, God bless.